Welcome to the UK Consult. This podcast is our occasional ramble through all things to do with citizen engagement and public participation in the UK. It is the home of public participation goodness, with a particular focus on good practice examples of online engagement and special guests and features from around the globe. Hello and welcome to the UK Consult, our uh, occasional ramble through all things to do with public consultation and community engagement in the UK. And today we have um, our special guest, um, Penny Norton. And Penny has done some wonderful things around uh, public consultation in planning, community engagement in planning. She's written heaps about it, and she's recently written an ebook for us um, for about um, around people in planning and the importance of consultation content, which is what we're going to mainly talk about today. But what I'd like to do, first of all, is give Penny the opportunity to say hi and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Penny Norton. I have my own um, communications consultancy, PNPR. I got there via a fairly circuitous route, um, having initially done a degree in music and worked in arts administration through to working in public affairs and PR and writing about planning. And it was actually working for an MP for several years that got me interested in planning. Um, He was a shadow minister for planning at the time. And um, I saw that as a particularly interesting area for communications. I very much specialise in the communications element of planning, not in planning itself. Yeah, fantastic. And we've known each other for quite a while and have lots of conversations about consultation and public participation in planning. And you've written this new book, People in Planning, Considering Consultation Content Views from the Development Industry. And when I first read it, I was like, wow, this is sort of an an, an area that we've always known about, but something that we haven't really focused on. Um, So it really seems like new territory for discussion. Uh, Another part of public consultation that requires a tad more scrutiny. One of the things I'd first like to talk about is how did you end up exploring this important topic of consultation content? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It feels like it's new, but I certainly feel like it shouldn't be. Essentially, it must be the most important element of any consultation to ensure that we're talking about the right thing. Um, But it seems to me that those of us that write about consultation have looked at so many other subjects, whether it's been online consultation, stakeholder mapping, reaching the hard to reach, methods of analysis. I think because of all this, we've perhaps overlooked the actual essence of consultation. And I was really keen to rectify this because I think there's already so much confusion in planning and consultations, and it does help if people understand what it is they're there to discuss. Yeah, definitely. And it's really great that we can sort of shine the lens on this in more detail. Um, One of the things that you sort of start off with is is talking about trust a lot. And I noticed that. And what, what way is this an issue when it comes to consultation content? It's such a big issue. I think there's so much cynicism towards development and often not much trust of developers. It's the assumption that they're perhaps all in it for the money. Perhaps it's true of some, but it's certainly not true of all and not true of those that I spoke to for the ebook, certainly. And I think this is the reason why so many consultations start off on the wrong foot. And I was quite lucky in that I stumbled across um, a discussion paper by Grosvenor called Rebuilding Trust, which was really interesting. And that really highlighted 
why people are so skeptical about developers and then what can be done about that and the key thing of course is communication yeah it is and, I, and may, is it a case that the absence of the right kind of content can undermine that trust Absolutely. One of the things that I've always advocated in um, when I plan a consultation strategy is having a consultation mandate. So that's setting out very clearly the purpose of the consultation and the subjects that are be consulted upon. And um, I think when that's been established, it's much clearer, both for the development team as well as the consultees, how the consultation is going to pan out. And it really mitigates against future kind of accusations against things not being done correctly too. So that's really important. And I think by establishing the consultation content at an early stage, you do prevent further problems along the line. Yeah, fantastic. And you, you actually go into that in more detail in the book and you, you start explaining the main subjects that tend to be consulted on. It seemed, from my reading of it anyway, that there's a big gap between residents' expectations and maybe what developers need or want want to talk about. Can you explain this in a bit more detail? Yeah, certainly. And again, this comes back to trust um, because it's a, a case of people wanting to speak about certain things and in a way the system not allowing that. So what I mean by that is that, for example, if a developer is consulting on a, a new housing scheme, say perhaps, I don't know, 100 houses or something, a lot of people will turn up at that consultation wanting to discuss whether or not that scheme goes ahead. Essentially, that consultation is not about the principle of development. So the principle of development will have been established through strategic planning. So that's through the local plan process. That's the point at which the local authority consults on a strategic plan for the whole district and identifies certain um, areas on a plan which are suitable for development. So that's when that particular field or whatever it is, is actually allocated as being suitable. So really the point of the consultation is for local residents to come along and talk about perhaps the way it's been laid out, the way in which it will impact on them, the way in which they might benefit. But it's not about the principle of development. And all too often consultations get bogged down by this discussion and developers really can't, can't do much about it. In, in reality, if people were to object to a scheme because they objected to redevelopment taking place there, the scheme might not go ahead with that developer, but another developer could put in a planning application and, and it'd be granted. So really that's not a, a conversation to be had as part of the consultation. Yeah, and, and I really liked your diagram. Obviously, we'll put a link to the ebook in the, in the blurb because um, diagrams don't work on the radio. You talked about subjects for consultation around uh, need, location, approach, impact, uh, mitigating impacts, and, and often it's the the three and the four. Was it? I think you said the sort of the approach and the impact that are are mainly included in in the content. But people tend to want to talk about need, location, and mitigating impacts. So I found that really useful to start thinking about. Good. I'm glad you found that interesting. I certainly found it quite a learning process. Um, initially, just thinking what it is that people want to talk about when, when they attend a consultation. And need certainly is one of those things, for example, with the, with the example of the housing scheme. Um, ultimately, need is for housing is something that's defined by central government, not by local government. So local government receives various quotas they have to actually attain, and that's not something that they have much say in. So need actually isn't something that local residents can necessarily um, influence, not at a local level at least. And then there's location, as I mentioned earlier. 
and that's linked to strategic planning. So again, that's not actually relevant to a developer's consultation on a master plan. So then um, I looked at approach. So that's are the proposals appropriate? And absolutely, that's something that local people can have a, a really um, thorough say in and, and really make a difference. And then there's the way in which it will impact them as existing residents. And again, that's something that they can definitely contribute. And then the fifth point is about mitigating those impacts. So working out how any potential downsides can, can be rever reversed. And a lot of those um, are actually something that's done at a later stage, say perhaps through a, a construction management plan. So really of those five subjects, need, location, approach, impact and mitigating impacts really only two of those things are relevant to a consultation yeah. um, but i should say on that point that um something that's become quite clear to me in this process is that there's, there's kind of two things that go on here there's consultation which is very clearly defined and structured and has to address certain points and can't address certain points there's also conversation and i think that conversation has a really important role here so for example if local residents are concerned about a specific aspect, they, for example, if they were concerned about um, parking, for example, that's not necessarily something they can influence. And it's not necessarily something that developers can actually do much to change either, but they can still have a conversation about it. And going back yet again to that point about trust, perhaps that's a subject that should be discussed in a conversation, not in a consultation, because they can establish some common, common ground there. And in that sense, trust can be, can be built up. So I think that none of those subjects are off the table in terms of discussion, but not all are relevant to the consultation. Yeah, definitely. It makes me think about what you were, you were writing about, you know, how much to include in a consultation. And it made me think that if I was a developer, I'd be really stuck between like, running a consultation where everything everything is under consideration or really making it narrow locking things down so that the scope is really narrow and, and, and covers some of those material planning considerations only you've said a lot about this is, is there any any way that you could summarize that is there a right or wrong approach yes absolutely um again i create a theoretical model around this which has really helped me to to understand it better um, and I think essentially it depends on the point at which the developer is in the planning process. And I guess it's an ideal scenario, really. But if it's a very early stage and a developer's simply sort of thinking about what to do with a, with a site, then um, there's all kinds of opportunities for wide ranging conversations about what, what would most benefit the community and um, how the, what the mix might entail, et cetera. But if a master plan's already been drawn up towards the end of the process, then of course there's a lot less that can actually be discussed. So if a developer creates a scheme for 100 houses and two shops, really at that point, the local community can't come along and say, we'd like an art center. So there's less to be said at, at that stage. So ideally it's great to have that consultation at the very earliest and the very latest date. But I do appreciate that's not always possible. Yeah. No. in terms of time or finances. But I think another point there is that where people um, are perhaps ask more specific questions rather than just being given a blank piece of paper, that's, it's sometimes seen as being sort of less, a less enlightened approach to consultation. But that's not necessarily always the case because if you say to people, what would you like? They can only really think about what's already in their mind. If you 
directly ask them about some specific subjects which perhaps hasn't occurred to them, then that's a new area for them to consider. So perhaps their, their comments as a result might actually be um, more wide ranging. Sure, definitely. I'm going to change tack slightly now because one of the other things I, I saw was um, you mentioning different views on the ability of consultees to engage in technical details. I found this particularly a, a really interesting part of it because, you know, almost me, it's like who decides what's too technical for the public and what isn't and things like that. And I found that quite interesting. So what do you, what did you say about that? Yeah, that was something, uh, probably the area that generated the most sort of disparity of comment, I think. People had hugely ranging views from saying, we can't present too much information because this confuses people, and, and that then creates a, a mistrust. And others said, unless you give them the full remit of, of information, they're not going to trust you. So, so both looked at it from that kind of enlightened point of view, but with completely different um, reasons for doing so. But I suppose the other thing is, of course, is that the public is, is not a single entity. So some of us are better placed to absorb that information than others. I actually asked a question because I'd been consulted on a scheme that I felt was so technical that I wasn't qualified to comment. And I sort of posed that as an example to people. And they mostly said, it was right that they consulted you and you didn't have to respond, which in fact was what happened. Yeah. Um, and so I think people have to be given an opportunity to, to respond. And one really interesting comment that was made um, was actually, um, in the case, this was a, a scheme in, um, in Cambridge and Carter Jonas was running the planning application consultation and it was for a roundabout. And although it was a very technical aspect of the scheme, they actually commented that it was the users that were going to give the most valuable feedback to this roundabout scheme, not perhaps not more so than the, the transport consultants, but that certainly yeah. the user experience had so much to benefit it that it would have been in, quite insane not to have asked the users about the, the way it might impact on them. Yeah, there's an excellent quote in here, which I'm probably going to misquote, We're around um, you know, the public being the, the, the best consultants you don't have to pay or <laughs> something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. thought that was quite nice. The uh, the other thing I was, I, uh, as an add-on to that was obviously, you know, with, with Bang the Table and our, our Engagement HQ platform, when more engagement is online, you can provide consult, consultees with varied levels of detail, almost like a pick and mix of difficulty. So that, do you think there's an argument of just using that to give people access to everything, letting them decide? Yes, it can be done. I think the key thing is that if, if that is done, it's done at the start of the consultation. So I think it's a mistake if a consultation takes place and then the information presented changes throughout that consultation because you have, could have a situation whereby somebody, say, can, completes a questionnaire early on and then the questions or the information available to inform those decisions changes then those that are responding later perhaps respond on a different basis. So I think it has to be consistency and that that's important. Sure. Um, sure. But in, in principle, there is no end to information that can be presented online. And that's great for those that want to delve deeper. So yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> online consultation certainly presents us with lots of opportunities. But of course, we mustn't forget that not everybody could just be consulted upon online. Sure, yeah. and. Um... And you mentioned, didn't you, like using video infographics, different, you know, all the different ways that information can be presented as well. So that forms part of that. 
one of the things that um, people that I also jumped out is people do want to talk about parking. They want to talk about local traffic. You make it clear that they're often out of scope. What do we do? What what can be done about that? I mean, is it is it the case that the developer needs to leave that door open and still take those comments into consideration, even maybe during the implementation of the of the scheme, or whatever? I mean, I'd just be interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think that goes back to my comment about this sort of conversation rather than a consultation. If the developer can't do a lot to change the parking arrangements, then um, there's not a lot that the consultation can contribute. However, it's possible that by alerting the developer to the potential for problems to emerge, um, local people can actually help in mitigating the impact. So it might be that the actual structure of the scheme can't be changed in response to those points made. But um, the way in which those problems can be addressed can, can change. Yeah. So again, it's that sort of talking about the wider issues and the fact that even if the developer can't do anything to change the scheme, it's important that local people understand that because, again, that can help to build trust. So it's, it's almost like that question that we've often talked about for a lot because we're both involved in the Consultation Institute and we and over time we've always sort of wondered about that question. Is there anything else we should take into account? You know, should you ask that question if you can't do anything about it or or should it or should it always be there? You know, for, because there might be something that you haven't thought of that comes out that comes out of that, that sort of openness to people's views and opinions. Yes. And bear, bear in mind the, um, the point we discussed earlier about the funnel sort of approach whereby yeah. at the start of the consultation there's so much more you can discuss but as it narrows and bearing in mind that most consultations are on specific master plans that have been drawn up with not much scope to change there is, there is less that can change but certainly there is other opportunities earlier on in the scheme whereby um, residents views can have more of a difference sure now, now I, I love this statement where you say the developers should be ready to provide access to all information contained with the planning app and prepare to address contentious subjects. I, I really like that. I've worked with people who want to avoid contentious subjects. I, I don't feel it really works. So, so is it really um, realistic to expect people to do this more in the future for them to embrace contentious consultation topics and not pretend that they can be avoided? Yeah, I think addressing the contentious subjects can make developers nervous. But I think it's really important to bear in mind that a consultation is only ever advisory. It's not it's not a vote. And so those, those difficult subjects, even if they do attract a lot of disagreement, aren't necessarily going, going to impact on the result of the consultation. So I think it's, it's really important that those contentious topics are covered, although I can understand that it makes development teams very nervous to discuss those topics that are perhaps going to have a more negative response. But I think what's really important here is that a consultation is only ever advisory. It's not a vote. It's not a referendum. And ultimately, the local authority planners will be looking at the planning application, the responses to it, but also the wider policy and viability issues and making a decision on that mixture of, of different influences. It might well be that people object to a certain element of a scheme, but if there's a reason for it going ahead that way, it might be that despite those negative responses, they, that the scheme won't be objected to on that basis. Yeah, definitely. I'm all, for, I'm all for that. You've mentioned it a few times, but just one of the last things I'd really like to talk about in a bit more detail with, with the book is um, the, the funneling of content over a, a develop, development's timeline. 
there's a figure, figure five in the book. You know, there I go again, doing diagrams on the radio. It's a good job I'm not on the radio. <laughs> um, and it, it, it is about funneling that, that content. Can you, can you just sort of maybe just describe that, that, um, that concept in a bit more detail? Yeah, certainly. So we've talked a bit about how um, the topic for communication, for, for discussion, um, can be much broader in the very early stages of putting together a master plan and has to be more specific at the later stage. So that's kind of the makeup of the scheme. But there's other elements of that as well. So I suppose also the information that's provided is much broader earlier and perhaps more specific later. If you're looking at something that's a, a, a potentially a broader, more varied scheme, of course, there's, there's more information that has to be taken into consideration early on than perhaps the later stage where it's been defined. And I think also the nature of the questions that are, are asked um, are perhaps broader earlier and more specific later. And in that respect, I mean, perhaps it might be literally a blank piece of paper at an earlier stage or certainly a qualitative response, uh, question, so people ask for their views and, and given plenty of space in which to, to write or even sort of depict their views. But later on, that is invariably narrowed down. So that might then become a questionnaire and it might even become a multiple choice questionnaire um, with preferred options, um, but it has to be more specific at a later stage. So there is very much this funneling with the, the three different aspects, yeah. the, the topic, also the information provided, and also the questions that are asked. Yeah, now I've, I've been stalking you on LinkedIn and I've noticed that people are already finding this, these diagrams in the book really sort of useful. So it's great that you've been able to do this for us. So I think one of my, not quite my final question, but maybe one of the last is what did you actually learn from, from the research? I learned so much from writing the book and interviewing so many different people with such differing views and different approaches. And certainly I very much got the sense that there is no right or wrong. Of course, there's no identical consultation and there should be no identical consultation response um, or approach. Um, so there's, there's lots of good practice that can be learned from. The book is quite heavy on the models, which um, I, perhaps is a good thing, I'm not sure. but. Um, it was something that really helped me to increase my understanding. And I hope that that will help people um, to increase their understanding of the subject too. Fantastic. That's really great. Just before um, we sign off then, I was, there's lots of changes maybe in, uh, coming up in the future around planning for the future and the white paper and things like that. And, you know, I, I don't want to hold you to this, but you know, what 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 kinds of things do you think, as as people that care about con public consultation, care about community engagement and planning, is there anything on your mind that we should be watching out for? It's been really interesting seeing this um, discussion progress because the planning white paper was really quite radical in, in what it recommended, but then um, just just last week, the House of Commons. Um, Housing, Communities and Local Government Committee published a report which suggested a much more kind of watered down version. So currently we don't really know what to expect. One of the key things the planning white paper picked up on was the fact that 
the um, consultation on strategic planning isn't currently adequate and it's suggested a use of a zoning approach whereby the majority of the consultation takes place at that earlier stage and that it's massively improved upon through mapping etc digital mapping that is that is a is a great idea in lots of respects but of course it takes um, a huge amount of investment in um, digital technologies also in local authorities abilities um, through resourcing and their abilities to consult um, so it's not something that can be fixed overnight and if that was to result in developers consultations on master plans being completely forgotten about i think a lot of developers might be quite relieved on the other hand it, it may pose problems for them later down the line. Most of those that I spoke to really appreciated the benefits of consultation because, and not only because, but one of the things is that um, by consulting with local people prior to putting in a planning application, you can actually reduce the potential for that planning application being rejected in committee, by which I mean the planning committee is made up of councillors who represent those local people. If it's at that stage of the planning committee that they receive objections, then it's a little too late for the developer to do anything about it. Whereas if the developer knows earlier on, it makes some necessary changes. So yeah. I think there is some concern there that we would lose a really important part of the process if that was to be the case, but nothing's for certain yet. So it's just speculation really. Wait and see, get involved. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely interesting times. things as much as you can <laughs> yeah um, it's been fantastic um having you join us penny um we also have our webinar on the 30th of june at 10 a.m and uh, where we'll be discussing this subject um once again and uh, i'll put the link in the blurb that goes with the podcast write-up but for now it, it's time to say goodbye and uh, until the next time everybody Thank you for tuning in to the UK Consult. Join us for future conversations each week as we continue to explore the tremendous, meaningful and ever-evolving world of digital consultation and community engagement. You can view additional educational resources at bangthetable.com.